Hello and welcome to another Not Chilly podcast. Today, Josh and I will be talking about the film Solo, which is obviously part of the Star Wars franchise. This is a bit of an example of how the Star Wars series we're producing will sound, and the way in which we'll be talking about such an important series. So, let's do this. Thanks very much for being a part of this. Although, we're not having anything to do with uh, the sequel trilogy today. Yes. Was that, were we just singing the sequel trilogy, like? Yeah, it was from the sequel trilogy. Oh, man. Do I remember any of the themes from the thing we just listened to? Watched, it I was mean? the theme from when uh, she's walking up to... Um, oh, yes. Do you mean from the first one? The first yeah. new one? The Force Awakens. Yeah. There has been an awakening. That was one of my favorite moments in that one. I think. Um, are we doing this? Yeah. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. Well, I guess we're talking about Solo. A Star Wars story. Which is funny because you think, like, why do they need to say that? Mostly directed by Ron Howard. Well, what do you mean by mostly directed by Ron Howard? Uh, the guys who made uh, 21 and 22 Jump Street and wrote um, the Lego movie. Mm. Yeah, that's who directed it initially. And then they reshot like 90% of the film after they fired it. Really? Mm-hmm. Why is that? Uh, apparently the tone they went for was like totally off, like not something that Lucasfilm could accept. Right. But to be perfectly honest, like mm. there, yeah, look, no one will ever know. Cause I mean, there's no, uh, I can't believe that that will ever escape if, if the footage even still exists. Um, their names came up at the end as executive producers, but oh. they did not leave like in a nice way. Oh. Um, Shit. But no one really knows what happened. So, I mean, like, outside of... Speculate, speculate, speculate. I don't think that... I think what Kathleen Kennedy was the truth was, yeah, that they didn't like their tone. That's what I think is the truth. Like, regardless of whether that that means it was a better film before or whatever, Mm. um, I I totally believe that. Conspiracy. It doesn't sound it doesn't sound suspicious to me at all. Whereas, like with Rogue One, they reshot most of the film and uh, or a substantial portion of it, and it was a bit sort of like, yeah, we really liked him, but we had to tweak a little bit, and then they put him on the road to do all the publicity and stuff. That's like weird, right? Um, because he, I think he was locked out of the edit and all sorts of stuff. Uh, whereas this one, yeah, they got Ron Howard to come in and went, you know what? Let's let's. Redo stuff. Let's hit the reset button. Yeah. Can you imagine the money? I can, actually. <laughs> like, Here we go. What do you think? Because you're pretty good at guessing this shit. What do you think? Uh, I, I think I'm going to be way off on the budget. I reckon it's like 150 mil. It's probably more than that. Double it. Fuck off. 300. Just oh, under, obviously. Like 275 million. Yes. Yeah, insane. Think about how much it made. Uh, I think it made four hundred and eighty million. Oh, three hundred and eighty. 
mm, Okay. I think that's off, but yes, okay. It could be. I'm, I'm, yeah, no, yeah. I'm pretty sure it was like just under $500 million. They're expecting um, somewhere between 850 to a billion dollars, um, wow. which would be reasonable for a Star Wars, but uh, yeah. Or reasonable for a big Star Wars, like a... No reasonable for any Star Wars. Rogue made um, somewhere between eight hundred and a billion. Really? Yeah. It. Um, but which is cra- by the way, any 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 other organization that goes in or any other brand or whatever outside of these sort of Marvel things and you know all this stuff. Yeah. Outside of DC, Marvel, all that type of stuff. If you go in spending two hundred and seventy-five million dollars and you come out having made four hundred and eighty million dollars, you've got a lot of very, very, very happy investors. Right. Um but how much do you think it costs to make um that one? Rogue. A Force Awakens. Oh. This is just a fun little game I like to play. Only because I have the answer. I thought it was somewhere between 250 and 300. Oh, nice. 306 was yeah. the budget gross. And net, it was 258.6. That's what it says here. Who nets and grosses a budget? I know. That's what it says here. Hey, what do you think box office? Uh, I'm... Uh, wasn't it? Um, This is fun. For me, and no one else who's listening is going to enjoy this as much as I am. I've forgotten what it was because the previous record was um, Avatar at two billion, and then I think I think that it was one point six or something. Man, the crazy thing is two point zero six eight billion dollars. I thought it was over Avatar. Yeah. Anyway, that I mean that's obviously beside the point. Like that's you know that was a different film. That was a Force Awakens. So, um, let's talk about this. What do you think, first of all? Well, it's the third time I've seen it. Twice as cinema, once on... So, you hated it. <laughs> I, man... So, ever since um, Revenge of the Sith... Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I think ever since... I think from episode two, actually. I think. I'm pretty sure I saw episode two at a midnight thing. Mm-hmm. I definitely saw Revenge of the Sith at a midnight thing. But I'm pretty sure I saw episode two. And then, uh, yeah, ever sort of since they announced that they'd be doing more Star Wars film, it's like, i got to see it at one minute past whenever the hell it comes out. Yeah. So, even for Solo. Um, yeah, you did see it at midnight launch, wasn't it? Yeah. Kind of just because, not even out of extreme enthusiasm, I was like, all right, yeah, fuck it. Um, I'm sure that the effects will be cool and uh, the Millennium Falcon all set looks like it's going to be amazing. Oh, yeah, totally. Because um, the one thing that didn't... The one thing that didn't cross my mind when they announced the film that didn't hit me until the trailer was, like, they went in... You know, they had this one shot inside the Falcon in the trailer without people or anything in it. And um, I went, oh, my God, yeah, a totally clean, fresh yeah. Millennium Falcon. That's That's so cool. Um, and as much as that's just sort of, you know, like nostalgia prodding, oh, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. that I just wanted to say, I got in there, watched a movie and aside from a few bits that made me cringe, I went, okay, did anyone else here like love that? I loved that. That was fun as hell. It was, uh, yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it at the cinema the first time. Then I went to see it at the cinema a second time and I really liked it again. And yeah, I think it's just... It's one of the things I like about it is that having watched particularly the original trilogy to death, mm-hmm. I like finding 
things like Clone Wars, for instance, um, that I can watch that are Star Wars and I can still connect watching Star Wars without um, further uh, degrading the tape, so to speak, of things like the prequel trilogy and the original trilogy um, and the sequel trilogy. Yeah. Like, that's a mistake I don't want to make with the sequel trilogy. I want to watch them every so often. Um, and that was a mistake I never made with The Lord of the Rings, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't watch them to death. I watched them, you know, it was like a big-ass time commitment. And so uh, I think I've seen The Lord of the Rings, like, at the cinema a few times on VHS. <laughs> A Re-hitches. couple of times on DVD mm-hmm. and once on Blu-ray, and that's it. I think I've seen the Peter Jackson trilogy like five times, right? And um, I've watched all the special features, all that kind of stuff. But that's that's the relationship that, as I got older, I wanted to have with Star Wars, and was have always been sad that, particularly Empire Strikes Back, I've just watched to death. And so this is one of those films. I go, wow, I could watch this a hundred times and like not really get bored by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and still have it be a Star Wars story yeah. uh, that entertains me, but not sort of wear out the ones I um, that are more meaningful to me, I guess. Uh, but yeah, I enjoyed it, and uh, the actor's name is just totally slipped my, not, my mind. Oh, I've got it here. Don't worry. I got it here. Uh, starring Alan. Oh my God. In Rich Reich. It's Alden, isn't it? Olden. Oh, wow, man. That's dyslexia at its finest. I can't. It's too small. I can't remember his last name. A-L-D. You're right. Olden. Um, E-H-R-E-N-R-E-I-C-H. Adric or something. Um, But he he killed it, man. Yeah, I thought... like I. You kind of briefed me on him, actually. I remember we talked about this maybe ages ago, and I was like, how do they do Han? Because I wanted your opinion on it, because I'd heard other people be like, yeah, it sucked, Han wasn't written, blah, 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 all that crap. And I'm like, I'm fine with that, people hating on it, if it sucks, you know? I remember you telling me that he was a, he was, he's not what you expect, and you got to kind of warm into him, but once you do, it's it's the right fit. Yeah, once the ball is rolling, um, totally from beginning to end, it just feels like... Uh, he's Han. That's yeah, it. yeah. And, and the, the main sort of criticism that people said about the Han character of this film is they go, we, they related it to that Han shot first crap. Um, this frankly never bothered me. I, oh, of course. I, and that's obviously a reference at the end. Yeah. By the way, spoilers, everyone, uh, yeah. watch the movie. <laughs> you um, know. He, so people were upset because the whole point was they wanted to see the Han solo that we know at the start of A New Hope, who's, you know, it takes him until the end of the film and then he starts behaving... Heroic. Heroically and selflessly. Mm. And then in Empire Strikes Back, he feels crushed into a thing of, look, I've got to go return these debts. That's what I have to do right now. I've got a bounty on my head. Mm. Um, And people wanted that, Han. And the thing that they forget is that... And this this is actually something, like, in a project I've been helping out on lately, you know, one of the mistakes that we made early on was um, we needed a character who's unlikable in a lot of ways, Mm. who then is sort of quasi-redeemed. Yep. But the problem is, for someone to be redeemed, they have to have had the good inside them in the first place. And so, Mm. what you're seeing in this film is the good guy, Han, who, by the end of this film, is a bit jaded Mm. and cynical 
And in the next film, which is genuinely what they wanted to do, I think they wanted to make three of these, um, that's in those two films, that's what you would have seen. You would have seen him... Be destroyed. Him become more like a... a, a just a smuggler. Yeah, a 30-year-old Han. Exactly. Mm. So... I liked it because I thought that the way the way I saw it in this particular film was that he had um he had a youth to him, you know, night na- he was naive, yeah. he was making mistakes in the same way that Han would normally make mistakes, but he also had like there was just a, sp- a spring in his step. It was less this kind of like bitter, I've got to get this stuff done. Come on, guys, let's do it. Oh my god, if we have to, but it's more like no, no, let's do it. I can make it. We can achieve this, you know. Yeah. And uh, and I felt like that was a really cool beginning to that that yeah. veteran that that we see in the first in A New Hope when he saves Luke. Mm. That's him bringing himself back to that. That's exactly what film. that is. It's mm. it's kind of like why does he do it? Well, because he because they got to him. They got to his better nature. Yeah. Um, but he didn't have one. So, like, that's the thing that this film shows, is that, no, he started out with, he was a nice person. He was mm. a good person. He was the good guy. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but always kind of, to a certain degree, self-serving, because that's where he's brought up from, but he always wanted to pull people out with him. And, that, well, I mean, you see the selflessness in this film, right? He he wants mm. to save up many to go and save Kira. Uh, at the end of the film, he's willing to give up the entire stake um, so that he's not a part of the bad stuff that mm. will come out of the deal. So, um, he has those things inside of him, but by the very end, you know, she betrays him. Uh, the guy who was telling him the whole time, like, don't trust anyone, don't trust anyone, don't trust anyone, proves that to be true, don't trust anyone. Yeah, um, definitely. And he he ends up in this situation where he's going to go and get involved with a gangster in on Tatooine. I mean, you know... You don't get involved in that stuff if you're not willing to do some dodgy shit. And I would like to see, uh, you know, a Star Wars story solo two and three. I'd love to see that um, be him getting deeper and deeper, uh, uh, further and further away Mm. from who he is in this film. And then just the end of the film be him in in the bar in Tatooine. Not even. Starting that conversation. That'd be kind of, I think that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, a bit cheesy. Oh, totally cheesy. But, I mean, that's what this film is a little bit. Like, it's catering oh, to that cheese. cheese. Yeah. But it's done in a way that... That's the only stuff that irritates me, I guess, is the references stuff. Not... A lot of people were irritated about the Kessel Run being in it. That part didn't bother me at all. Nah. I didn't. Because that's it was, where he's... It was a throwaway line. Like, they, th- they said that they referenced it twice. One was where um, Donald Glover's character, Lando, was like... Only someone you can only do this in twenty is the fastest I've ever been done. And then he says, "Hey, hey guys, I did it in 12. and that's like that's basically the, the the end of it, right? I don't care. Well, but I mean, the whole like a good third of the film is the castle run itself, but the where it comes from is you know a, a throwaway line in A New Hope, mm. where Hans like, "Hey, it did the castle run in twelve parsecs." Yeah, and um, it, he says it in this way that it's like. How, how have you not heard of the Millennium Falcon? Everyone's heard of the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Everyone knows about me. And the thing that everyone knows about him is, you know, that he'll drop his shipment at the first sight of a <laughs> of an Imperial cruiser, according to uh, Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. So, I, I think that it's, it's one of those things where... 
people always wanted to have it in their imagination, sort of in the same way that people always wanted it in their imagination how uh, Anakin Skywalker gets burned. Yeah. And that was shown, and in my opinion, very effectively in episode three. I love that movie. Which but- we'll get to later on in a series that we're about to start soon. Yeah. Which this is not a part of, I would say. No, uh, no. That's actually something we should make clear now, is that because these are kind of separate, this and Rogue One, whether to say we'll watch it again, I wouldn't mind to because I love talking about kind of what made me not love that film. Yeah, I... But not. But I wouldn't destroy it. I would just... No, no. Like, it's it's a driven drab film for me. It's mm. a film of, like, you kind of wish you could reshoot a couple of scenes, re-edit it here and there, mm. and you'd have a great Star Wars film. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, a great yeah. Star Wars story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas it, I, it's so clunky to me. It's so... It feels the way that it was produced. It feels like it was... Just not enough. Reshot, just not enough. And that's whereas, where. Oh, sorry, go again. Yeah. Whereas this one was shot, reshot enough to make a coherent, yeah, beginning yeah. to end, straightforward film. Whereas that film just feels really jumpy to me. Well, of course, we'll work that into like the next one. I don't want to, you know, like. I, oh yeah. I'd, like, yeah. I'd love to let that breathe because this is a whole different, you know, uh, film and something that like is actually really kind of cool. But the reference being, or the important point to take out of this is that. Uh, we, this is not a part of that series. This is almost like a, uh, appetizer to the series because to me, talking to you about this is obviously, you know, you have a lot of love for Star Wars films in a, in a way that isn't on either end of the spectrum of like, oh my God, it's the best thing that's ever happened. And I hate this. This is the worst thing that's ever happened. Like you're kind of a good middle between it all, uh, but with a lot of knowledge. So, um, I'm fairly one-sided about Star Wars, but I'm willing to critique it yeah um but i just don't i don't participate in the anymore anyway you Mm. know i used to really hate the prequels and say they were a piece of shit and now i i think they're really it's it's one of my favorite stories Mm. um ever relatively poorly told for the first two thirds so if you like this particular episode Wait, and <laughs> yeah, we'll just wait g- until that. Exactly. I get more passionate about the the Skywalker legacy. That's oh, of course. A, that's Even a, I would, but I'm not a big game. fan. That's, you know, you know, that's most of a lifetime of passion. Yeah, that's exactly right. But back to Han. Um, so the character himself, you know, like so he does have that kind of childish charm. He does have that kind of immaturity about him, a less jaded. And you're right; it would be nice to see three films of this development that happens. I like the idea of it tying into the first time we see Luke enter the room, but I don't, I understand why that could be a bit too cheesy, but for the fans, I think that'll be something they do. Maybe even like post credits kind of scene where he's like, don't ever suggest post credits for Star Wars. Oh, is that that never happened? That's not a thing. That's not a thing. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. When, when, when that uh, circular dissolve comes in, that's it, my friend. (laughs) The end of the film. That's it. Wow, man, I wasted a lot of time watching credits. <laughs> no, you didn't. That's right. <laughs> That's a lot of people who work very hard to get their names there. There you go. No, and if, if my name was on those credits, I would have been like, ooh. <laughs> That's me. That's me. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. So would my mom. To have, oh, yeah, that'd to have your name amazing. as a runner in Star Wars. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Name anything on the Star Wars credits would just be, like, chill. <laughs> just be, like, chill? No, like, a chill up your spine. Like, Oh, right. I was going to say, like, just relaxed. Like, goosebumps. Whatever. It would be so, like, ah. But, uh, so yeah, this, this particular character 
It's got a lot of potential, but you don't think they're going to make another one? You? Uh, no one knows at the moment. <laughs> All standalone films are currently on hold. Um, the, <sighs> the, and they're pushing the TV show at the moment, so no one really knows. Oh, I'm very excited about it, and they've released Oh, the TV show, shot. yes. Yeah. The so, so what do you think about Lando? Yeah, so I, I feel that um, he tried to copy a bit too much um, mm. some of Billy D. Williams' speaking mannerisms. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, yeah, he nailed it. Whereas, funnily, I, uh, I thought it would be the other way around. I thought that he would quite effortlessly be Lando, um, whereas and Han would be kind of a, you know, a, a wet fish. And it was, to me... Not the reverse, like he wasn't a wet fish, but 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 um, Han to me really felt like Han Solo, whereas Lando felt a little like, bit someone in, only in parts, Lando. only in little bits. Yeah, no, it, I see what you mean. Yeah, I but, liked his arc though. I like, I mean, like that. You we all knew that he was a bit of a hustler. Like certainly that was. Oh, he's of, a dick. Yeah, and he's a cheat. Yeah, and he he's a, he embellishes his own stories, and it's nice to kind of see that kind of side of him. But it's nice to see that in that same way that Han is also an immature young kid, essentially. He so is Lando in his own way. He's a bit egotistical. You, you can see that when he sees him again, when Han sees Lando later on in in the thing, like they're both like, "Oh, you made something of yourself. Yeah. Good on you. How's my ship?" You know. Um, so I kind of liked I like these in, these immature mistake making characters. That like take risks, that do stuff. That's like I don't like it. I don't agree with it, but I accept it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's like yeah. it. Uh, the moments like that are very, very good. And it's kind of like, why is his ship locked up? Why is it chained mm. to the ground? Like he's a fucking liar. It's, yeah, that's it's right. Bullshit. But um, as you said, he's a hustler, and and I think that that aspect is done really well. I just think that um, yeah, just some voice stuff. But it's tiny, it's tiny stuff, and the more I watch it, the less I'm going to care. Yeah. You know, he'll become more in that thing. It's just, you know, it's that thing of going, let's redo anything, like, as a character. Let's do something. You're always going to get compared. Or when you play a historical character, people are going to scrutinize the hell out of you. Mm. Yeah. when, and it's funny because the more you try to be like that person and sound like that person, the more they'll tend to scrutinize you. Oh, yeah. Whereas the more that you try to pull off the essence of that person, um, the the more believable I find it is. And it's like that robot theory, you know, the one that's like, you know, trying to get robots to look like humans or behave like humans or like AI to behave like humans is... There's, oh, oh the uncanny valley. There you go. That's yeah. the one, and it's. I feel like it kind of resonates in that yeah. way. If you kind of just have Storm the troopers, uh, clone troopers in Star Wars, get me out, get me out. What is that all about? That's in. Uh, it gets explained that way in. Um, in. Uh, oh no, that's right. That's a step before. Yeah, it's it's uh, Tom Hanks in Polar Express in Thirty Rock. It's a Thirty Rock gag. Oh my god, really? Where they're talking about it? making the porn video game, and he's explaining the guy with the hat, whatever his name is. He's explaining to him why it can't be done. And he's like showing the uncanny belly. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's like, down here is you know whatever Mickey Mouse or something. I can't remember. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I like that. That's cool. And up here is is this. And he's like, oh yeah, uh, up here is the Clone Wars in in the Star Wars <laughs> prequels. Oh yeah, I guess that's all right. He goes, and here's Tom Hanks in 
the Polar Express. Get me out! Get me out! <laughs> in the Uncanny Valley. Uh, that was a terrible, terrible recreation of a great joke from 30 Rock. So That's fine. We'll just it's watch a great it. Gag. But yes, that's why he's saying a porn video game can't work because it's like yeah. in the Uncanny Valley. Um, yeah, totally. It's... Uh, it's it's one of those things where yes you focus so much on it being so close as opposed to trying to do its own thing very well, um, whereas uh, yeah Han Solo in this to me really pulled off his own version of Han Solo really really well. I it never felt to me like he was trying to act like Han Solo uh, to me act like Harrison Ford rather. Mm. What about Kira? What do you think? I thought she was a great character. Is she actually. in reference to any other? Things do you have? Do you have any? Not link? to my knowledge, but I haven't watched the last. Uh, so season five of Clone Wars is the last season, and then there's like a mash of episodes that were the last season, mm-hmm. like were meant to be in the last season, but they're not like a full story. Yeah, and that's season six. I'm using inverted commas, like mm-hmm. uh, quotation marks, rather. Like that's season six. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't seen season five. I'm I'm in the like two thirds away through season four at the moment. Um, so I'm not sure. Uh, but like Darth Maul is back and and all that stuff. Yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. I know that he like you were saying he kind of comes up in Clone Wars and that's why that's the link here. Yeah, as a gangster, Crimson uh, Dawn, which is like what this whole film is about, doing a job for Crimson Dawn. Now that does the Crimson Dawn come up in Phantom Menace? No. No. Okay. So it's so just. Been, there's. I think they've been around for like ages, though. That in comics and stuff like that. I'm pretty sure. Mm. Definitely the novels. Super interesting because it's like that. That was an interesting little throw in the end. I didn't mind it at all. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was too cheesy or weird. Do you, it was. Do you have- it was way too much for me. Oh like, really? I don't know why. For, the two things that bugged me, and this is just this is getting Star Wars nerdy, mm-hmm. is that. One of the rules that John Williams has laid down in terms of music is you only use a theme if it's relevant. Mm-hmm. So, if it's not relevant, don't use it. So, they have Darth Maul sitting there and he has his cloak on and then he pulls the cloak back and I'm like, yeah, we could see who it was. No need to do that. And then he grabs his lightsaber. Yeah. Why are you grabbing the lightsaber? Because we're reminding you that this is Darth Maul. Yeah. And then the music goes, bum, bum. Bum, 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 which is from Jewel of Fates, which is from his fight in Phantom Menace. Yeah. But the Jewel of Fates refers to two very specific moments in the entire history of Star Wars. Um, it only plays one at a time, which is in episode two. Um, and it's several notes. <laughs> See, this is a level. This is what happens when you open the box. Bill. That's fine, man. Um, Opened. As Anakin Skywalker is trying to find his mum on Tatooine in episode two, and he gets on a speeder going away from his aunt and uncle's place. Uh, sorry, not from his aunt and uncle's place, from um, uh, Luke's foster parents. Okay. He He's on this speeder and he's going to find his mum. And uh, as he's rattling along the desert, it goes... And then it goes away again and goes back to this theme. Mm. But it's this thing of, like, the rising tension. Um, because with every action that he does, he's dueling with the fate of the galaxy. That's yeah, right. the thing. So, in the first... In Star Wars Episode One, it's like, the result of this duel... Uh, will cause an outcome that will affect the entire galaxy. It then plays a few notes of him struggling with his own soul in episode two. And then in episode three, it plays um, as kind of like a medley. Um, with So, Jewel of Fates plays with Yoda and Palpatine fighting each other. Oh. And it cuts from that to the Battle of Heroes, which is between Anakin and Obi-Wan. So, you've got these... It's very precise... 
mm. when this shit is used. You know, you don't just sort of throw away like, you know, ah, oh, just throw the force theme in there. Ah, oh, just do this. Just do you don't do that. Yeah, there was right. no jewel of fates happening in this moment. Uh he's not a Sith really anymore. He's just a fucking gangster. Um, and the Sith have control of the galaxy in this film, you know? Yeah. If he wanted to be back, he doesn't want to do that. He's he's just a gangster. So, that was over the top to me. I think he should have just kept his cloak on and then been like, yeah, all right, so you better come to me. All right, see you soon. And it would have gone away. And then in the next movie, do something with him. Mm. Because uh, you just didn't have to go, we're flagging it. Yeah. Hello. That was too much. Okay. And and that's the that's the only complaint I have with this film is that they do that a few times, um, and some of them bother me and some of them don't. Like Han Solo, uh, just, I, I didn't mind that too much. It was stupid, but which is good. I'm happy that it didn't it didn't like bug you. Yeah, because for me it's it like me. sometimes when people overplay. Like, oh my god, how did he get his name? It's like, I never thought how he got his name. I just assumed that was his name. Yeah, me too. And then they're just like, oh, Han Solo is your thing. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, moving on. But uh, the, the thing that annoys me about it is that Han Solo, like Millennium Falcon, what the fuck does that mean? Mm. Like a Millennium bird, uh, a bird that's a thousand... It's just the name of a ship. Exactly. But that's the thing, like, things are called weird and silly things in Star Wars, and Mm. now I know that he's not called Han Solo because that sounds cool. He's called Han Solo because the word solo literally means Alone. Yeah, And, and like, that's annoying to me. You know, it should have just been a goofy 70s, you know, space fantasy name. That's, That's all. Like, you know, it... That's that's what annoys me. I guess what you're worried, what you're annoyed about, is that it just didn't, to be honest, didn't even need to be said. It didn't. It didn't need to be said. And it's and the, one of the things I've loved about Star Wars is that, for example, when someone speaks Elvish in Lord of the Rings, this is what you love about Star Wars. <laughs> Sorry, continue. That is a language. They are saying that anything that anyone says in Lord of the Rings actually has a dictionary thing that corresponds to it, and it can be translated. It's gibberish in Star Wars, and that's yeah. the fun of it. Like, it's, you know, when it's- Chewie is saying stuff, you can't go through and go, oh, when he goes, you can actually find that that's consistent through all the... F-. That's not... Yeah, it doesn't work that yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, for them to make that a literal thing was just... It just annoyed me. Because um, I wanted it to just be a stupid name. Yeah, okay. Just no, a no, funny that, name. That, that, Han Solo. That that's totally cool. fair. I don't think that there's anything wrong with, like, well, as a as a not as big fan of Star Wars as you are when it comes to those kind of details, I was like, sweet, moving on. Like, I I just, like, I wasn't wowed by it. I wasn't blown away by it. I liked, speaking of those kind of moments, I like how he gets the Millennium Falcon. Oh, yeah. And I I mean, that's, yeah. People complained about it, though. People said, oh, it was, you know, like, lackluster or there was something about that people didn't like. And I'm like, I loved it. I thought it was, I thought it was. How he wins it in a game of Sabacc. Which has been the thing for like 30 years. Yeah, but you'd think it'd be more epic. But it wasn't. It was just that he knew that he was, you know. And then, but you see that dynamic when you see them in, as adults, you know, when they see each other. It's like, oh, you won, but... Uh. But she's still my ship. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's I really love how they did it as well, because I sat there in the movie going, oh, what, he wins? He gets the Falcon already? Mm. You know? And then he doesn't. He doesn't yeah, get it. Yeah, he, that's right. He, he loses because Lando cheats, and then he gets it at the very end of the film, and I really liked that. I, I liked that it wasn't... I, I love that he was in this ship that wasn't his, that he knew was rightfully his, because he won the game, technically. Yeah, Not technically, yeah. he won the game, but Lando cheated. 
he knew it was rightfully his, but also he just felt a connection to this ship. Mm. He, um, as soon as he sat down, the way he flew it was beautifully, you know, and and how they go into the maelstrom and he manages to weave through all of the yeah. uh, the sort of like bits of ice and rock. And I like and how something. he they explained his ability to fly that ship. I thought that was like, I thought, oh my God, yeah. He picks up the ship, he's like, Wee! and he's like, oh, he's somehow really, really good at it. But in reality, it's like, Oh, it's because his dad built these damn things. He knows where all the switches are. He's probably read a thousand and one like oh, right, manuals yeah. on it. I thought that was kind of cool too. Um, and also, he started his like training with the Imperial Starfleet, which had also always been a thing. And that's kind of my point about this film, which I really liked. I like, I like when people don't make too much of a fuss about references and like con- connecting those dots. Where it kind of feels, it's like when you watch. Um, I know this is going to be a weird kind of connection here, but it's like when you watch The Naked Gun. <laughs> Right? Hey, man. At least I'm not talking Elvish. Uh, it's when you watch The Naked Gun, the funnier moments in me, to me are not uh, are so understated throughout that whole, like, the whole spiels. It's either something that happens in the distant background or a joke that's, like, like would have cost so much money to do, but is literally just, like, cut away in, like, a microsecond. Like, yeah. you only see it for, like, a flash, you know? And I feel like there's the same thing with this. It's like one of my favorite moments in A Force Awakens is when they're running to get to the ship. And the, like, the thing is like, oh my God, we'll take this ship. It's like, oh, that one will do. And they pan to the Millennium yeah. Falcon and they run into it's it. It's there under a sheet. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's <laughs> like, I mean, obviously that becomes like a bit of a staple. Like, you know, all the references in this become a bit of a main theme, but they're not glorified. It's not like, oh my God, look at this ship. This ship's amazing. I love it. This is great. Do you know what the Millennium Falcon is? It's like, Oh, there it is. That's my ship. All right, let's go. Like it's, I like the and the shots do it for you as well. Mm. Um, you know when the way that they have that beautiful uh, aerial shot of it um, as they come up over it as he sees it for the first time, and then he walks over to it and he stands underneath it, and there's the sun clouded by all this grotty, you know, cloud, and mm. and he's looking up at the cockpit, and he's just, you know, it's it's how in like older films you would have the man see the woman for the first time you know it's like beautifully lit slow motion hair which leads me to my next point robot sex (laughs) right yeah a lot of people are pissed about that why i didn't because everyone hates star wars and then turns around and says (laughs) give me more star wars um um i hate this I like that's so true. It's it's uh, that was cool. I, I thought you know what I love this. Like, like, he's a fucking weird guy. Yeah, and also like, why not come up with this idea that like a robots had become so advanced? I mean, we see that throughout the Star Wars series of these robots that are hyper intelligent and and like pretty much real people, and and they live like they you talk to them like real people. They behave like real people. Why can't they be people? Ah, oh, it's. I think it's fantastic. You know. It, it, if you can develop any type of relationship with a droid, then you can obviously fall in love with one. Let alone, not even just to develop... Like, because there's a difference between developing a relationship with an inanimate object and having that inanimate object tell you like, an idea that they have. Yeah. that And that, for me, is what, what makes it different. That's, what, that's always been around in the Star Wars universe. He, like, Luke's relationship with R2-D2 is just... It's exactly that. He doesn't just just go, hey, R2-D2, get me coffee. It's like there's there's a harmony yeah. that exists between them. Yeah, because he respects them. Yeah. I mean, like, as much as... And it's funny because the only person who doesn't really is Han. He really finds them annoying. Yeah, that's true, that's true. And he hates C-3PO. 
Um, oh yeah, who doesn't? Whereas, and yet, despite the fact that C three PO is really annoying, mm. Chewie lovingly protects him, puts him back together mm. in in in, a, in Empire Strikes Back. So th- there's that thing of that acknowledgement. Whereas, and they, and they do make a point of that through the, the original trilogy, mm. um, where the way that they think of droids and react with droids, you know, the, the way the Jawas treat jo- droids is at odds with how we feel, you know, we go, oh, I feel sorry for them. They're all in here and they're being sold off and having restraining bolts put on them. And mm. then, you know, by the time you get to Return of the Jedi, they're being enslaved and tortured in Jabba's ca- uh, castle. And it's, that's the type of thing that we're used to seeing, this idea that there is a lot more that can be explored yeah. in terms of droids and how we feel about them. And, you know, whereas... Uh, Luke or Anakin develops a more intimate relationship with R2. Um, With, say, Obi-Wan, he sees droids in a lot more of a kind of mechanical role. Yeah, functional. They're they're functional. He gets upset when R4 gets killed in Episode 3, but, you know, at the end of Episode 3, they have 3PO and R2's memories wiped. Yeah. Um, And that's why they don't remember the prequels. So, mm. it's really handy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I didn't... It didn't bug me. I liked her a lot, Where, which yeah. is funny because uh, the droid in Rogue One really gave me the shits. He really? hated that fucking I loved droid. him. I thought it was great. It, it, like... I thought he was such a, like... That was probably my most, my most enjoyable part of that film. Really? Yeah. Man, because I would be, like, the starfight at the end. That was sweet. Starfight at the end. The, um... Starship battle at the end. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I thought that robot was awesome. I don't, I just like the idea that, like... I like the idea that they take something that, you know, we, we, we all... Well, maybe not even we all ponder, but it kind of throws you in there a bit, like, that a, a, a robot can have love with a human being and that it can actually process that idea. And they obviously play with that right at the beginning of the film. It's like, this is my robot, you know, and I, I'm not even sure they said she, but they seem to, it seems to imply. She, yeah. Oh, just, yeah, there you go. And already straight the first time you, you, you meet her, it's this like robot that has feelings about, you know, like don't be enslaved, get yeah. out of your system. Like, I think that's, there's something really human and beautiful about that, that relationship and, and almost Lando's and, and the robot's relationship is like, they, they make almost a joke of it with, um, Kira. Q- I can't pronounce it cause it's like, Kira. it's just Kira. Because it's spelt Q-I, weird letters. Anyway, and they have that moment there in the... the what was her name? Uh, what's her name? L4? L2? Oh, uh, yeah. Funnily, it's, I think she's in the uh, L337. L, okay. Uh, L, because uh, <laughs> I'm going to forget that. L um, and Kira have that... Oh, have that um, conversation about like their love interests and stuff like that. And I think that's like, that was funny until Lando reacts to uh, L dying or getting like hit really hard. And that was just like, oh, that robot wasn't just bullshitting. Yeah, because it it sounded like it was a delusional thing Mm. that the droid had made up. And then you go, oh, wait, what? That's right. Okay. And you realise that why Lando keeps her around. Not just for the navigational, look, but there's something about her. Regardless of even if he, you know, whatever, he's a loner that flies around swindling people around the galaxy. Yeah, weirder um, shit has happened. no one else seems to be living on this ship. 
um, if he, if anyone spends almost all their time with like something like that, like a droid in that universe, I mean, it's you're like going to develop Hanks. at least a friendship. Tom Hanks with um, Castaway, right? Yeah, Wilson. Yeah, yeah exactly. She's Wilson. Hmm. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, I really, really liked her and her little droid rebellion, and I thought it was that great. she triggers off and it causes this big kerfuffle mm. on Kessel. I really love that. And um, one thing I have particularly about the Kessel Run section, man, I just wish I could have been in the room when the DOP was talking about how he wants to light this film. <laughs> right? It's dark. Yeah, you're, no, this really is an interesting moody. point. You were just, um, right before we started recording, you were like, literally, you had the, the Blu-ray 1080p one and you had the 4K yeah, HDR one yes. and you are splitting between them and making comparison. And I'll go with what I saw and what I noticed because you've got a lot more an eye for it compared to me. And coming from an un... No, well, the word isn't uneducated, but unexcited about <laughs> <laughs> visual difference between the two. I certainly noticed that... that um, the the 1080p was brighter in color and everything almost like um almost cartoony in brightness like you know yeah and it it almost seemed a little hyper real whilst the the 4k one was actually the opposite which i always thought would be the other way around i thought that you would have less uh, more less color in a less a smaller resolution and and more well so it had more brightness in the Mm. in the um it's 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 not really about brightness. Uh, there were way more colors in the in the HDR one. That's interesting. Um, it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel that way because uh, and what 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 I did notice was uh, having watched it twice at the cinema. Cinema. It really sunk into me. The look of this film was so. I'd say it was about. I'd say it was the most distinct look for a Star Wars film since um, Empire Strikes Back, which was very very beautifully lit mm. and extremely like shot in a way that had th- this was shot in a way that you sort of go man they would have to reshoot that if they wanted mm. it different yeah um but because they shot a hdr they had so much dynamic range in the camera that in post they just went okay for the standard definition copies let's bump everything up do you know why they would would have done that well what's your theory obviously not Oh, it's not a th- like the reason that they did that was because um, they can't, they cannot emulate that look on a standard definition, uh, standard dynamic. As in, it would have just looked saturated, like desaturated. It would have, yeah, it just would have looked flat. Okay. Um, it would have looked really flat. If you've ever seen what a HDR image looks like on a non-HDR panel, um, it looks like roughly the image you're looking at with a shitload of grey. Because mm. tons of the colors just go way outside what the what the panel is capable of. Oh. Um, so despite it being darker, the, one of the things it would be is yes, it was darker, but where it was bright, it was bright and well lit in exactly the way that they wanted it to be. Mm. Um, so that was a really interesting part, uh, but particularly during the Kessel Run sequence where you know they, you know, God, that shot of the backlit. Star Destroyer. Oh, that was so lightning. good. It's like, what is that? Can I just say the special effects, the VFX on that, just exceptional. Like, I don't know. I mean, I could be, because I haven't seen the, the new movies, like, in, in recently. Um, it feels like they were better. 
It feels like there was something about the look of them that was just like it blew me away. And there was that remember that moment when it was the the Millennium Falcon kind of flies over the desert and kind of does like a weird move and lands. Uh, yep. And I was like, that's got to be a helicopter shot combined with some CGI. And you're like, no, 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 I think that's all CGI. And that like mind. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that that shot is um is all CGI. I mean, regardless if it it's is, it's either that or a helicopter shot that was maneuvered that way. But the way that it moves around would be. It's a pretty aggressive it's helicopter very, flight. Yeah, it's it's pretty full on, but also I don't know. There was something about the image that looked like the landscape was um, artificial. And if it was, or if it wasn't, it was both amazing. Like if it wasn't, that was amazing compositing of CGI in that kind of environment. If it was, it's it's uh, like a brilliant CGI, like complete CGI composite. I just I was like. Like and uh, throughout the film, I was like blown away, blown away. Like the moment with the the, the what, what do they call it? It's not a star destroyer. It's a blockade something. That's a star destroyer. Yeah. That's a, that's what a star destroyer is. Okay, so that moment, I was like, because well, they they use that word blockade, and I was like, it's a blockade. And I'm but, like, but yes, that is exactly yeah. what that looks like. It's doing. <laughs> There's no way I'm getting past that. There's yeah. a huge blockade in front of me. <laughs> it was amazing. Blew my blew my mind away in that that moment. I was like. Oh. It's like a shark in like murky water, and then yeah. as you get closer, you're like what? Oh shit! You know that was amazing. And and the stuff that's really a lot easier to pull apart would have been um, Corellia, you know, the start of the film mm-hmm. where where all the construction and stuff is happening. It just looked unbelievable. Which one? Which part um, was that? Are you talking about his home planet? Oh yes, Corellia. yeah, that was a really cool. Like, I, I have a big fan. I'm a, I'm a big fan of. Um, I'm a big fan of like when you see different parts of the world to see real kind of personality in this in the the art I guess is what yeah. the way to describe it and it was just like that felt like a completely different place. It wasn't just another Star Wars thing yeah. copy pasted into a different looking ground. It was like no, this has a different personality. They built these things a bit differently. They made this happen a bit like it was really cool to see. Cuz it's all, you know, the Corellia has featured a lot in various different things, but it's always interesting to see um I think it's been a couple of video games, but Imperial ship yards have been in a bunch of stuff. Mm. But to see on a cinema screen a Star Destroyer being put together mm. is one of those things you just go, "Wow, that's so cool!" Of course, yes, people have to make these things. That was another thing they did really well. Is that they and a lot throughout the film, the way that they chose to do exposition was pretty brief. It had to be done in a lot of ways. Yeah. But my, my first experience of that was when, like you just described, when you beginning of the film and you look up and it's a Star Destroyer, like, not being quite so built. It's like, it's almost done. And you're like, there we are. No yeah. one even mentions when, what time we are, when this is happening, what's going on right now. That was just like, yep, this is what the moment and let's keep, keep going with the story. The only annoying moment of exposition is when he takes the... Um thing to what, whatever the fuel for the is. first time at the very beginning of the film. And he's like, oh... This should be more than enough to get off to get off Corellia and buy our own ship and blah 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 blah. blah. It's like, ah, yeah. oh, cool, yep, thanks. I'm sure you couldn't have written that any other way. Yeah, yeah, okay, but that's fair. They wanted it out of the way in like a very short period of time, and it's not like we're talking about dumb screenwriters. We're talking about, you know, people who wrote some of our favorite things, Indiana Jones, and and also they're, they're obviously not I just catering that. to us, right? They're catering to the younger audience that wants yeah, to see Han Solo. And that was the only really sort of bit that went, yeah, okay. But at the same time, you know, 
Star Wars has always been a clunky dialogue thing. You know, it's one of Mark Hamill's favorite things to tease about Star Wars is he always says, who the hell talks like this? Yeah, yeah. You know? Oh, but I wanted to go to, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to go to, was it? Um, I wanted to go to Tachi Station and get some power converters. Like, <laughs> who the fuck? What is it? Yeah, that was pretty funny. Uh, yeah, and that's that thing. It's, uh, you know, it's it's for 10-year-olds. Let's talk about Chewy. Ah, yeah. Right? What did you... Th- I, oh, no, no, I'll talk about what I think about Chewy because I thought... At, Mike, I had, like, kind of three versions of feelings. Like, a wave of, like, three emotions. It started with, like, when he gets thrown into the pit and then we realize that it's Chewy that's coming out. I was like, holy shit, wait a second. I didn't think Chewy would have eaten human beings. Yeah, a lot of people have said that. Yeah, of course they did. You explained it pretty well. Um, then after you explained it and you're like... Yeah, he was enslaved and, you know, like, this is the only thing that they would have, like, fed him. They would have been forced to kind of be in that situation, let alone, you know, the reason why you would have uh, a Wookiee is for for violence, you know, so that, like, yeah, that, yeah, to lift things or to destroy things, um, which was really cool. And then I just started to fall in love with him throughout the whole thing. Because he's chewy. Because he's chewy, but he also had so much, like, I feel like he was such a side character in the original trilogy. Not that that's a problem. Um, but he becomes such a, like so much more involved in yeah. this version. Uh, and I think that when you, when you, it's like when you have, um, and he didn't do anything in episode eight. No, he really <laughs> he didn't. No, I hope that in the newest one, he'll like totally like come back in his own way. But it's like, you know, when you see, um, I mean, it's not to that effect because I, I, I'm obviously a big Pixar fanboy, which by the way, we're going to do a series about Pixar films. Um, but it was the moment, like, uh, it's like when you watch uh, Wally, and you go, like, this is just a robot that goes, Wally, and that's it. And then you, but somehow you get this beautiful story arc, or and you get this, like, you know, like, complex character. And then you see uh, Chewie, and you have that similar kind of reaction. You're like, oh, it's just Chewie, and he just goes, you know, like, and that's all of it. And then suddenly he has- I mean, the same sound person behind it makes no difference at all. Yeah, right? <laughs> and then, like- you see him, and he has a, obviously that relationship with the tribe. He has that really great moment in in amongst that pit, where even Chewie is making that decision because he's not stupid. He's actually quite smart. And well, that's that's why he gets so annoyed when he says, "You stupid Wookie." Yeah, that's because right. Wookies are. That's part of why they're treated like shit. Is that they're assumed to be incredibly dumb mm. and simple. Yeah, even though he was obviously jousting him at that point, like that was the not the joke, but that, he was trying to rile him up. By yeah. saying that you're, you're a stupid Wookiee and then smash. Oh, no, no, no. Earlier, when he was just annoyed at him, he, he was oh. like, oh, listen to me, you stupid Wookiee. And then he throws him. Oh, right. Right. My God. Maybe I didn't, I, maybe I missed that moment. But I thought that moment of the kind of like the fact that he connected with this Wookiee and got him like, rather than just seeing this, this thing that he has to destroy and eat, essentially, yeah. to stay alive. He, it was this... I speak a little. Yeah, that's right. He has like, <laughs> As soon as he tried to connect so with him, it was great. I thought that was such a beautiful moment because it's like, even the Wookiee's like, all right, this is... He's not just pleading for his life because, you know, screw it. He's... I, this is my chance to get out. And that's the kind of moment that he has with with um, Han at that point, and and then obviously there's that moment with the tribe where he kind of has to help his 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 people, and he's also like just how he supports Han 
which is funny because I was talking about how he's not a supportive character in this film, but he, how he supports and helps Han throughout that whole experience and how he develops that, that bond with him. Because I mean, he's a Wookiee, right? He's an uncontrollable, uh, no one can see my quotation marks, beast. Um, But they have a relationship and they have this like, screw you relationship. It's this funny kind of like love, but you know, push each other around and you believe it. Yeah, totally. Um, and it's and you, you understand why he becomes that. And you, obviously, there's going to be some more adventures of that. I mean, he helped him free... I mean, again, necessarily help him free his tribesmen. But to a certain degree... Well, he helped him free some Wookiees. That's right. He's like, well, he gave away his weapon. He's one thing that he probably really needed. And the Wookiees are like, not exactly like they're capable. So he could have just gone in there with his fist. But he gave they, him the They thing. still have pretty advanced weaponry. Watch That's episode true. three again. Yeah, with the... <laughs> Battle of Kashyyyk. Yeah. There's like a whole battle on Ka- uh, Kashyyyk. Oh, there you go. I probably, I I really need to see it. That's kind of part of the reason why I want to do that Star Wars series, because I kind of want to rewatch it all. And Chewbacca's yeah. in that too. Oh, because he's 190-something yeah. years old. So you look he's good. 190 in that, yeah. Yeah, that's he, awesome. He, uh, he, he's, yeah, like 210 or in that sort of area by the time. Um the original trilogy comes around. He's meant, okay. to be, he's meant to be 200, I think. So what did you think? Of... Chewy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, really well done. Uh, the only thing that, again, just sort of irritated me was uh, like a reference flag, you know, where he's like, and what's your name? Chewbacca. Well, we're going to have to come up with a nickname for that because I'm not saying that every time. I'm like, uh, can't you just naturally develop into calling him Chewy? Can't you just yeah, say it yeah. instead of going, I'm going to start calling him Chewy. <laughs> you could totally, yeah. yeah. You could have had it so that they're on that train thing. And instead of saying Chewbacca, he's like, Chewy. And Chewy's like, Rrr. and then that's, Yeah, he could have been like, Chewbacca, Chewbacca. And then he's like, Chewy. It could have just been a thing that it was a funny moment where he's just trying to say something quickly. And that's how it happens. What but do you What do you love about Chewie? Dialogue. Uh, I mean, he's got a gr- he's always had a great sense of humor, and uh, despite actually being a, quite a peaceful creature, um, capable of playing into the legend of the Wookiee and being bad tempered and all that sort of stuff to take advantage of it to make sense, because you know, in A New Hope, the way that he's talked about and presented, you know. Um, that, I mean, that's why he pulls arms off of that guy. Yeah, yeah. by accident, which is kind of funny. Yeah. Like, so, uh, probably intentional, but also like, uh, ah, yeah. whoops. It's, uh, you know, um, uh, he's getting upset about, you know, 3PO is getting upset about Chewbacca being in the game. And uh, he, he, you know, he says, don't argue with him. And he says, but he lost. Yeah, but, you know, like a Wookiee will pull your arms off. Uh, yeah, and the, oh, I see. And then, then you see him do it in this yeah. film, and you're like, it is possible. I just told that story completely wrong, but the point is that Han warns 3PO that he'll pull arms off if he loses. Um, so, <laughs> Which is also the irony of uh, uh, Chewie putting C-3PO together. Yeah, like, yes. yeah. He puts him back together. But it's uh, it's one of those things that... Uh, he's, he's just one of those very lovable characters who um, is not really explored in any depth whatsoever 
at any point. Mm. Um, he's just generally given a bit more stuff to do than episode eight, and he had tons to do in this one. Um, and it was just a very natural fit. And the thing that's quite funny is the mannerisms of Chewie, the way he moves, and primarily the way the sound design is done, uh, and the animatronics of the way his face moves. Um, that's the stuff that is really... Um, core to who Chewie is, mm. uh, to what brings him to life. So th- I just imagine that they did a really solid job of those aspects and that's why it works. Um, not not just the writing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that Chewie's the kind of character that kind of does a lot of work uh, by way of simply who he is. I don't think there's... There's only one bad Chewie moment in all of Star Wars. And, that's and what's in- that? That's in The Force Awakens when he doesn't hug Leia. Ooh. He gets up oh. and fucking Han Solo's died and he walks past Leia yeah. and Ray hugs Leia. It's like, what the fuck? Yeah, that's right. That's that's the only unforgivable moment in that film. And uh, But in this film, they totally nail it. It's really well done. Um, I expected his reveal to be a sort of a bigger deal. I expected it to be... Mm. Dun, 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 and revealing Chewbacca, Chewbacca. here we go, yeah. uh, and make more of a deal of the life debt concept where it would be sort of stated. Um, so, yeah, the whole point is, you know, Chewbacca has a life debt with Han Solo because Han Solo saved him. Mm. Um, and they tweak that here. They sort of go, maybe that's how Chewbacca might interpret it. Mm. But um, It's also a friendship. Yeah, he... It is by the end, definitely. Mm. Uh, but... He, you directly see it in that moment when right at the end, towards the end of the film, and they're escaping that place with the, the where the slaves are all running through, and he has the 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 other Wookiees like, "Hey, let's go," and he's like, "Ah, uh, I'm good." Yeah, I gotta. And that's where you're like, "Oh, oh okay, that's it." You know, that's that's where the, the that is the point. Yeah, that's the point where it's friendship, um, and part of that is because you know Han didn't go, "Well, screw you," or "No, you have to keep coming this way." He's like, do it, go. Yeah, he said, here, I think you'll need this weapon. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then that badass Wookiee kicking ass scene. Can I also say the f- choreography in this film was awesome. I mean, I might rewatch it and be able to pick at it a bit, but especially on that train sequence. Um, Some I more, was- yeah, wonderful mixture in parts of like CGI, cinematography, and choreography. Mm. Like when she, well, <laughs> what's re- re- revealed. revealed to be a she, when she like jumps off. And onto the thing, does a roll, that shot, does a roll and then goes straight into, like, shooting at um, Beckett. Yeah, uh, yeah, So, I think uh, that I think that goes CG, rolls into a real person, and then is it's on a green screen set. I think that's how it works. And it's also really cool, as she comes out of that roll, she already knows it. Like, it's all about knowing each other's, yeah. knowing your enemy. So, she pulls the shield. Those shields up like, and it... I was like, really... Powerful the moment. Get, the theme for them. Mm, I think like it was that. awesome. Ah, it's like tribal fucking music. What yeah, the hell? Yeah. So sick. That was beautiful. I, I, yeah, that that whole... just And also, I know that... I mean, I'm obviously a big fan of Mel Gasol, and my first reference when I, we saw Woody Harrelson's character was like, <laughs> Revolver Ocelot, you know? Um, but I thought it was kind of cool. Like, I thought it was close to being too much, if you know what I mean. You know, when, like, something's like, what you don't need to spin those guns, but I kind of like he makes reference to that because he's like, I'll show he's me how you do wanker. it. He is, he's a bit of a wanker and like he's a bit of a showman, but he also doesn't 
always he's not always it's like a reflex i feel like for for the the character and and he has that moment with han where he's like can you show me how to do that flip thing and he's like no you don't need to do that that's bullshit um and i think that that's like it it just didn't take me over that edge which i'm really happy about it kind of the way it played into he's just almost like um a sleight of hand kind of magician just kind of that's just natural for him he just flicks yeah. things around this is a wild west cowboy yeah, and it was badass. Like, I thought... Great character. It's a way... Like, his character would have been very easily destroyed by, like... Like, it, it was a delicate balance to have someone who's... Who Han Solo himself could almost look up to. Like, because that's another thing I really liked about this film as well. Is I feel like Han Solo was this kind of young... Like, we've talked about before. You know, this kind of uh, immature character at the beginning of the film. And... Uh, and the, the counselor we know has obviously picked little things up as he's gone along. And throughout this film, a lot of the characters he interacts with, it feels like he's taking hmm. a little bit from them, you know, in the way that like Han Solo does with the, the, the kind of Western element that he has with that gun. Uh, the, the like, just the little tricks that he does and the, like the way he hacks things and the way that like, I feel like the way that they, the smuggling lifestyle is slowly being taught to him in a way that he didn't know before. And then we, we, we'll we see that develop towards the end. But I could be completely wrong about that. That's just the feeling I got. Yeah. I think... The one thing... Uh, just about on that train sequence. The, mm. um, the only thing that I think was a really missed opportunity with this film was um, Thandie Newton's character. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Her getting blown up on the bridge. And yeah. She was fucking sweet. Yeah. I thought she would have made like a, a a really good addition to just the whole universe. Mm-hmm. Um, that if somehow she could have just been this smuggler that was out there, would have been cool. I if if Lucas Arts is not in some way thinking about a video game that involves her, <laughs> you know, sort of like an Uncharted style game with her oh, as yeah. a gangster out and stuff. I mean, how sweet would that be? She was a great character. That was a comment I made when it was like, this would be an awesome video game <laughs> yeah. on that train. Yeah. It's uh, it was it's one of those things that I, I was a bit bummed out that she died so, at least, if nothing else, like, so early. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there was a story to be told there that was kind of lost because it because of how quickly her character disappeared. Yeah. If you had like a full video game or even just a six hour long video game and you get to that like the end of the video game is you on that train or on the bridge waiting for that train again and you're trying to plant these things as quick as possible and then the things start flying out and you try to shoot them and then like you know the what's coming and that's the end of the video game. I think that would be kind of cool as It'd well. Because she's got a story and she's got an interesting arc, I think. Yeah, she was she was a really cool character. So that was a that was kind of the only real like missed opportunity part in the film I found. Mm. But it's um yeah I you know so much about it. The score was great. Mm-hmm. The yeah the visual effects were out of this world. I, I really was surprised by how well done the characters were. And um, as I said, you know bits and pieces really gave me the shits. But as a whole, I mean p- to be perfectly frank, no more than episode. Uh, one, two, three, uh, or six, uh, or seven or eight have bits in it that piss me off. So does Return of the Jedi episode, uh, and so episode seven and eight you're talking about how they 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 had moments where yeah they had moments that piss me off. <coughs> Not as much as cockatoos. 
Or just Australian birds in general. <laughs> yeah, buddy, I'm talking about you. That's just, that's going to keep going. Yeah, all right, we'll just go with it. Um, just you need to finish that sentence. Yeah, or even Return of the Jedi. You know, Return of the Jedi, that's, like, for me, that whole first act drags like hell. I that's the one where he just, like, uh, gets, what's it called, Leia and Han out of the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're in tattoo. Well, Leia went there to rescue Han, and then she gets enslaved. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought in, in the I outfit that. that that's what she told Daisy Ridley <laughs> when when Daisy Ridley was doing it. She mm-hmm. she said, well, you know, what was the advice I told you? She said, don't go through the don't go through the the crew like they're like wildfire, as in don't fuck everyone in the crew. <laughs> of course, she freaking said that. Yeah, and do not let them put you in a costume like that. Yeah, yeah, because then you'll be synonymous for that particular... Yeah, I mean, when you... Now, it's sort of like then it was like, yeah, it's so racy, it's Leia. Mm-hmm. You know, they had... Um, there's a story that Carrie Fisher used to tell about um, the costume designer was this guy. Um, I, I'm i just thinking... I'm trying to remember the context. Of, I think he was a, a gay costume designer and he would come up before every take because she was naked under that. Um, mm. uh, he would come up to her and go, just doing a tit check. And, like, make sure that uh, her nipples weren't falling out. And um, just, (laughs) it's like, nowadays, you know, if you saw that in a film, you'd go, really? Mm. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, I get that she's a slave girl and that's what the outfit is and all that kind of stuff. But for fuck's sake. You can do that tastefully nowadays. Totally. Well, actually, you could have done it back then. But but now. I mean, yeah. I mean, it was like 1982 when they made it. So, you got to think, like. It's a, that's, that's a long time ago. And, um, but yeah, that was one of the things she said to Daisy Ridley was like, just do not ever let them put you in a costume like that. And, and that's not even what Star Wars is anymore. So Mm -hmm. that's not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yes, Princess Leia went to help Han and, uh, that's when she gets enslaved. She shows up in the bounty hunter outfit and she gets caught, um, having taken him out of the carbonite. It's like. Um, she's speaking through her helmet. It's like, uh, he says, I'm blind. I can't see that will pass with time. And then mm. he's like, who is that? She takes off the helmet. Do, do. And she says, someone who loves you. <laughs> and then Jabba was like, <laughs> Idiot. what's that? I know that laugh. I can do the rest of you. The whole no, thing. no, no, please don't. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so she's not in that thing. She's, uh, she finishes Empire Strikes Back on the uh, medical frigate with uh, Luke Skywalker having his hand put back on, or a robotic hand being put on. So, yeah, she didn't need to be rescued initially. It just mm. turned out that way. Uh, well, anyway. So, semantically, you were wrong. <laughs> this, is, this is just a long-winded <laughs> geek session about telling me off. I get it. I understand it. It's fine. Um, yeah, so I think people... Well, I mean, I, I would never say people should watch... This film, I think, I think it's a fun ride. I think that's what my you kind of watch feeling. a sweet heist film. Fucking watch it, man. Yeah, right. You want to watch a heist film? You want to watch um, Firefly with more budget, like you were saying. Yeah. I thought that was a great way of referring to that. Like, then watch this film. It was fun. It was exciting. It's what Star Wars is and always will be, and it should be. It's just a fun, exciting ride that isn't how terrible Marvel films are going. Because mm. that's just like doing the opposite. Whilst with this stuff, it's just it's still keeping that magic. Bar a few films. Yeah, where Rogue One felt like a broken jigsaw to me. And mm. those elements, by the way, I do f- feel them 
I do love episode eight, but but there are parts of it that I just sort of feel, uh, that felt hasty. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of whereas this film to me is sort of in terms of we're going to tell a story from beginning to end, just a nice traditional film. There you go. Episode mm-hmm. seven feels like that to me, and this feels like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I hope they go a bit George Lucas on these films down the track. I hope they go back and go, let's add this scene in. Let's pad this about. You know, let's yeah. do this. <laughs> Um, it's sad that Carrie Fisher died. They can't go and reshoot and get Chewie to hug her. They'll figure it out. CGI. <laughs> no, they promise. They, yeah, yeah. No. The promises can be broken. They can. For for hugs. Yeah, exactly. For hugs. I know this is so dumb, like, a no, tiny thing, but it is... That was such a moment. Like, as, as soon as that happened, immediately I went, oh, my God, the next time Chewie sees Leia, and then he walks straight past her. Yeah, you yeah. You go, what the fuck? Because Chewie wanted her. The real story is Chewie killed her. JJ uh, Abrams spoke about it. He he said like um, no is. because we needed Ray to connect with Leia and um, so that we could sort of get her story in. And I'm like, so make the scene forty seconds longer and have her hug Chewie and then Chewie you know walks away sad and when Chewie moves away, yeah, Ray is her. revealed behind him and Leia is like, ah, you just connected with this person and yet another person has left you. You know. Uh, anyway, this is what happens when we start talking about Star. You bring up Star Wars. Well, this is our perfect reference. Something that's what I was saying. This is going to be the kind of content, bar maybe potentially an extra person, uh, that what it's going to be like listening to a series about Star Wars. I can already tell you what the longest ones will be. Mm-hmm. Episode one, three, six. Four, eight. All right, you've heard it here, and then <laughs> I reckon nine. There's so much to say about the pre- prequels; it's ridiculous. I feel like you would have eventually just gone through the whole n- number of everything. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of trying to order them a little bit. Yeah, I felt yeah. that. So I feel yeah. Like, yeah. Anyway, sorry. we'll see. No, no, don't be sorry. Freaking awesome. We'll see what happens. Like, stay tuned if you, and if you like this kind of like particular type of style then we're gonna we're gonna do more of it regardless because you know no one's told me not to so bring it yeah definitely with star wars but of course other things in between which is kind of what we talked about now hell yeah so um yeah thanks for listening thanks for potting with me peace out boy boy so that's the podcast for today stay tuned as there will be a new episode released every single thursday to keep up to date, don't forget to subscribe using Podbean or wherever you get your podcasts. On this podcast, I want to give a special shout out to Josh Lumberg, who keeps coming back again and again. This podcast was produced and edited by me, Piotr Wojcicki, and the music was sourced from the Filmstro website. Till next week, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.